Before we get started today, I just wanted to thank everyone who's been sharing the show. I told you all at the beginning of last month that October and November have historically been slow points of the year for us in terms of downloads, and October we set a record for the number of downloads in a single month. And I wanted to let everyone know that in November, we absolutely smashed that record. Uh, We saw about a 10% gain over October, which had been the previous high point. And these are months that, like I say, have historically been slow for us. So I just wanted to really thank everyone who's been sharing the show and remind you, if you haven't already, to please go to iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using and give us a five-star rating and review. Uh, those five-star ratings especially really help us with the rankings. So thank you again to all the people that have already been sharing the show and already given us a five-star rating and a review. It absolutely means the world to us that you're helping us to grow this show and share it with others. All right, let's get right into it. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about what other artists teach us. Much of what we talk about on the podcast is about what we produce ourselves as artists and insights into art practice. Today we are shifting into another role that many of us play, the role of viewer, and what we look for in the work of other artists. As artists, we are also appreciators and often consumers of art. We not only buy and trade for art, we also study the art of others through art books, documentary films, exhibits, and lectures. What can we gain from looking deeply at the art of others? With me as always is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. So when we study or admire or buy art, um, and a lot of artists are also art collectors, um, we're a lot of times we're responding to the things that we covered in last week's episode, the, which we called the wow factor, um, things that make the work feel purposeful and personal, and it's done with a certain mastery and um, assurance. And so those things are also present when, you know, we are the viewer. So today we're going to focus on um, this kind of artist-to-artist communication through our work and a broader look at what we gain when we study the work of, of other artists. And I, I had to chuckle and think, well, you know that old phrase people say, well, I don't know anything about art, but I know what I like. <laughs> Um, we, we don't really have that excuse <laughs> or that little disclaimer. We do know about art. And um, I think that's great because we know we, we can look more deeply, obviously, and we're always learning from other people's art. And sometimes it's not even about that we like it or don't like it. It's what um, we're learning from it. And um, I think there's a lot of work that we see that maybe we don't personally relate to or say, you know, I would I would want to collect that piece of art. But as artists, we're looking at it in other ways as well. It's not just a quick judgment, but it's, oh, how right. how is that done? Or what is it ab- about it that I could learn from, from it um, if we're at all drawn into it? 
Well, and when you have a, a technical understanding of what you're looking at, a lot of times there's uh, you, you, you notice something and you're like, I see what they did there. You know, <laughs> right. you, there's, there's things that you pick up on that, that maybe your normal viewer um, doesn't fully appreciate the way that somebody with a, with a technical appreciation of it. That's so can, true. Can really uh, absorb. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, you can find yourself studying a work of art that, you know, you don't actually respond to it in an emotional way or you feel sort of you know, not very involved in it, but you're caught up in something. Maybe it's just a color relationship or um, something like uh, the complexity of it. And so I guess for artists, it doesn't really have to be the whole package, you know, for for a person who is approaching it without that understanding. It's sort of a, usually a like it or don't like it situation, or maybe a, hmm, interesting, but walk on by. But yeah, we we can learn so much even from stuff that doesn't really grab us that much and right and and even just having a a more than superficial understanding of of a process right um, can can lead you to pick up on a lot of things that that somebody without that wouldn't notice um you know i i'm i appreciate film a lot and i have very limited experience in in producing film and obviously i i have quite a bit more experience producing audio and i i notice certain things in movies a lot of times where i'm like <laughs> you know there's 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 things that you just pick up on where you're, where you notice that this is technically difficult um yes. you know, an example that i'm going to pull out of thin air that that just occurs to me is um if anyone in the audience has ever seen the film the big lebowski um the uh, the final shot of the movie starts with a, a bowler bowling a strike and then the camera pans to a character who has like a pretty extended monologue and then another character comes in they have a back and forth and and then it, it pans back to the same bowler who bowls another strike and so there's so many elements in that single shot and it's it's done in one take in one shot there's two strikes bowled there's this extended conversation oh wow <laughs> um, and and it's it's all a single moving shot. Huh. And and so there's certain things like that where you notice in in films, wow, they didn't cut it all there. You know, <laughs> there's no cuts there. It's just it's yeah. just one shot. Um and Stanley Kubrick did that in his films a lot as well. Um and it's it's something that if you're watching for it, you pick up on it, but for most people, they're never going to notice that. Well, and when you're when you're watching a film, you're caught up in the story. And right. it's the same thing, I think, when people look at a painting or something, they're sort of, and they should be, you know, just caught up in the painting itself without really maybe thinking that much about how it was done or or maybe just thinking, wow, that looks really hard to do or something. But Right. Well, and maybe on some subconscious level, people pick up on just it it not looking the way that other things often look mm -hmm. you know and and maybe they don't quite understand that there's a technical difficulty to what's being done and that's why it's not done very often but maybe they do pick up on this looks different from other things yeah and, and another thing i i really notice about looking at other people's work is the difference between seeing it online or you know in a book and seeing it in person and people often comment uh you know well for my own work they'll say oh wow you know there's a lot that's lost in the 
in the picture on, you know, your webpage or whatever, it's inevitable. And when you're really um, encountering something in real life, it's just, it has a whole different impact, the scale, the, the way the light is hitting it and so many different things. And so um, that's a, that's another factor in this kind of topic is we get some things from looking at reproductions and we get other things when we see it in person. And I think for artists, the appreciation of what's gone into it is definitely more in person. Um, and, you know, some of the, my favorite artists that I tend to think of as, um, you know, people that I feel involved in looking at their work, it often is because I've seen the work in person and, and more so than in reproductions. Um, and there's not a lot we can do about that. I mean, you know, we see what we see online and we occasionally get out and see other things, but, but that's just a, a part of this is that, um, it is a different experience to see it in person. So, um, and I, I just wanted to throw out a few names of people that, you know, I, I find really intriguing. Um, and there's so many and some of, some of what I learned from other people's work is not contemporary art. I mean, there's a lot of that. But it's also different periods of art history, um, like, you know, the Renaissance or pre-Renaissance, ancient Greece. And, and sometimes they are things that are outside of my, uh, my own realm of painting. So it could be sculpture, um, ceramics, um, fiber art, you know, it's like, there's a lot of things we can learn as artists from other media. It doesn't, you don't have to just only look at paintings if you're a painter, and most of us don't. I mean, so then when you see those things in other, um, in other media, you sort of find the connections. You know, I might look at a piece of fiber art and see the, the linear quality of the, of the fibers or something and be intrigued by that which is something I like in my own work. So, you know, we, we have pretty broad appreciation, I think, as artists. But a few names that I I appreciate, um, Deben Korn, Anthony Tapias. Uh, there's a, quite a few of the abstract expressionist painters from the 50s and 60s that I generally respond to them uh, when I see them in museums. They're just something so painterly and rich, like uh, de Kooning and uh, both de Koonings, Elaine and... Um, Willem, uh, Agnes Martin, who's not everybody's cup of tea, but when you see Agnes Martin in person, you see a lot more subtlety than you do in a reproduction. And she's kind of the one that led me into thinking about that difference in the actual experience and the, um, looking at a reproduction. Um, uh, just some other, uh, Sean Scully, um, and he's another one. See it in person. You see so much more subtlety. Um, just, I don't know. I could go on and on. There's a lot of people that if I noticed they're having an exhibit or something, I would want to see it. And I think a lot of artists are like that. I think that the broader appreciation we have for what other people do, um, the more we gain from it. And, and it's often said that artists are sponges, <laughs> which is going around sopping up other people's ideas and inspiration. Uh, you know, to some extent, that is true. Um, we do soak up ideas. And when the sponge is squeezed, we, we wring them out into our own combinations. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that is, that's part of our job, really, I think, is to 
is to learn from what other people are doing. Um, well, and regardless of your your technical appreciation for uh, another artist's work, uh, the uh, the concepts and the compositions are definitely things that you can draw from uh, outside of your particular um, frame of reference or your the media that you work with. Yeah, so um, true. And, and so that's that's something that definitely as an artist, if you bring concepts and uh, compositional uh, ideas into a, a different form, um, what you create will be unique. And so even yeah. if you're drawing inspiration from other artists, um, I particularly if you're looking at artists outside of, of the materials that you're working with, uh, mm-hmm. I don't think you're in very much danger of of seeming derivative. No, that's that's a really good point. And there's kind of this broad appreciation of the bigger ideas, not the little maybe, oh, this color of oil paint mixed with this color of oil paint makes this and this artist uses that, whatever. Those little sort of technical details can be really useful, but that's not the big picture. You know, and the big picture is what you're saying. You look at composition, you look at color, um, you look at elements of design, and it doesn't matter um, what the particular subject matter is or the medium, but there's something about the way that those bigger things are being used that that uh, you appreciate. And I, I, just something that came to my mind was there was a period of time when I was looking at um, the work of Giotto, who was a, a very, very early Renaissance or pre-Renaissance painter in Italy. And these are frescoes. And the colors in them are so amazing. They're really kind of pale colors. and But just the way they're combined is so beautiful. And I have a book of his work. And I, I remember just sitting and looking at it as a year or so ago and just marveling at his color use. And whether that came into any specific work of mine, I'm not sure. And that's another thing is that there doesn't always have to be a direct line, you know. If we're if we're always sort of looking at this stuff, um, it's not that we have to immediately turn around and use it in some way. It's all part of this interesting mixture that's that is we're soaking up in our sponge, our own particular sponge, and it may or may not reveal itself. I would say, but it's all it's all good. It all feeds the your thought process and all that, and. I wanted to spend a little time in the podcast talking more specifically about, you know, what are those things that we're soaking up? How can they help us? Um, And the first one I would say, and it kind of follows from what I just said, is context. It's art history. Um, When we look at work from different time periods and different cultures, uh, from ancient art all the way up to what's happening right now, and if you... If you have a formal art background, in other words, if you've you know been to art school um, or had any art history, that's that's really great because that that gives you an overview usually, and you see how things fit together, and you see sort of a timeline, and it can be really inspiring. You're exposed to many things that you wouldn't have known about really, and if you don't have that and you haven't you know been to college for art or didn't have it in some other way, there's plenty of ways that you can you can broaden what you know about art uh, on your own. And, of course, reading um, and uh, films, documentaries, 
and um, whatever interests you in particular, like say you're a you're interested in landscape painting, I just kind of do a deep dive into landscape painting over time and seeing how it's developed and what ideas have come out and things like that. Whatever particular interest you have is great, but there's that bigger world too of things that you wouldn't even know about that could be, you know, just really strike you. Um, and I, I love, I loved studying art history in college. I have to say, uh, I didn't always love memorizing slides and you know the testing part of it and all that. Um, it could get a little tedious, but I appreciate it. I even appreciate that part of it now because I have the ability to recognize things and to put them into a timeline and say, oh, that came before that and that led to that, or that they're you know maybe from another culture that's not really connected to contemporary art, but you you still see the visual connections. You still see um, that certain aspects of design and use of art materials are universal through time, through culture. And it's just it's a fascinating subject. Real quick, I want to tell you all about the latest news from Cold Wax Academy, the membership program that Rebecca and her partner, Jerry McLaughlin, have developed for online learning about cold wax medium. The learning at Cold Wax Academy goes beyond just cold wax and applies to all painting mediums and all aspects of enhancing your art practice. Winter Quarter starts in January and featured topics include texture, layering, and how to look at and talk about your art. There will be live online sessions, guest speakers, live critiques of member artwork, and opportunities to interact personally with Rebecca and Jerry. Right now, you can join Cold Wax Academy at 2020 prices and lock in that cost for the duration of your membership. For more information about membership levels and learning opportunities, visit www.coldwaxacademy.com. That's www.coldwaxacademy.com. All right, let's get back into it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think art history can be actually a little scary or intimidating if you if you don't have a background in it. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking with Kara about art history the other day. Yeah. Um, and because we both took art history in college. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I hated it. You hated it. <laughs> I did. I did. But I honestly, like, I don't want to talk smack about about that teacher, but I'm going to. Um, and I think that that history is is one of those subjects, whether it's art history or or just general history, that can be made incredibly interesting. Yes, or it can be made <laughs> incredibly dull. You, you are know? right. And, and so if 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 we're we're treat so if we're teaching history like we're telling a story, then it becomes absolutely engrossing and incredibly interesting. Yes. And if and if what we're doing is, you know teaching a chapter out of a textbook and saying, read the chapter, and then we're going to go through the chapter in class and you're going to take a test on it. Yeah. That's just excruciatingly awful. Well, um, and that's and usually so, and, the approach if the instructor doesn't really know that much about, about right. it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so it was, I mean, for me, art history was just, just terrible, but I did absorb more than I thought I did. As we were talking about things, um, I, I don't even remember how this subject came up, but we were having some discussion and, um, you know, I brought up something from art history and we were talking about that and the way that these things fit into the greater relevance of, of the world. And, um, 
and yeah, it's I I had no idea that I had absorbed that much from that <laughs> class, which I, I don't think I did particularly well in, but uh, but it, it was still there. I still had that right. that knowledge, however many years later. Right. Um, yeah, and it, and I think it's important too when we're when we're looking at art history to consider that what we are in right now is history from a future human's perspective mm-hmm. um, and our participation in history and the, the art that we create and the relevance that it gives this time is important. Right. And that's, you know, that whole idea of context um, for artists working today is one aspect of that is if somebody were looking back at what you're doing now and it's only it could be nearly near in the future 10 years from now it could be longer and where would you sort of fit somehow you know um we all like to think we're quite individual but you know in in fact there are trends and there are ways of approaching art that you know can that are consistent over time and when you look at art history you can sort of see oh i sort of fit in with this approach to painting or whatever it is and yes, it's different, but you feel the uh, you kind of your roots um, is is interesting to know that and to know that other people have worked with similar ideas and that when you're talking about teaching art history, that's really the gift I think for a good teacher is showing the continuity, showing um, that ideas are some ideas are universal, some ideas are are novel and new and real and shocking to people and other ones continue on throughout all of history and it's uh it the big picture again is so is so good uh when you when you have a good teacher um and 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 like i guess i would just you know wrap up that part by saying whatever interests you if you're listening to this and you don't have that background you know start somewhere and even if you don't quite get the the timeline or the big picture that's okay um, you know, I don't know that much about music history, but I, I still like music from different time periods, and I'm not sure how they all fit together or anything. But it's okay, you know. I gradually expose yourself to things, and you start to you start to put it together um, on your own. So the the second uh, thing that I wanted to talk about that we get from other artists, and we kind of touched on this earlier, is this sort of technical information. Um, we often have a lot of interest in how other artists do what they do. Um, and I would say, as an artist, it can be a little frustrating or odd when other artists approach us um, about the techniques in our own work. And it's not necessarily um, that we object to sharing that, but we know there's so much more to it. And and people sometimes people seem to want to appropriate what an artist does um, as a way as something in their own work that seems a little bit intrusive because technique is one thing and what's behind it is is so important and we all do have our own individual approach so um, anyway but but we but as an artist you know you do feel this way. <laughs> I mean, I can't tell you the number of, you know, exhibits I've been to where I just, I had so many questions about, well, how did they do this? What material is that? What technique is that? There's that that thing we want to know. <laughs> and 
as long as we know it's just part of a bigger picture, that's fine. Um, I think what other artists do is so often intriguing. And, and maybe it's because we know as artists that we do have the potential to do something equally interesting. I mean, it's sort of like it's a peer-to-peer -peer thing sometimes where you look at it and you say, hmm, um, you know, I myself could do that if I if I knew what was going on. So it's this kind of, um, a, like we were talking earlier, it's an appreciation you have as an insider, I guess, saying, uh, well, you, you admire it and you um, are intrigued by it. It doesn't seem completely out of reach either. Whereas, um, I, you know, you can feel that way with a with something you know nothing about. It can seem like it's coming from another world or something. So it's kind of like we both get it and we don't get it. Um, there's something unknown that intrigues us. And we can't really get into the heads of the person to know what they're doing. But, but we do understand that technique is kind of a portal. It's kind of a way in to seeing what's going on. And the other thing I, I would say about this is most artists really love to watch other artists work, um, whether it's a demo in a workshop, whether it's a YouTube video, whether it's in someone's studio. When you watch somebody um, in the midst of creating, it's it's just fascinating. Even if you don't really like what they're doing or it's not... <laughs> Uh, it's not really speaking to you, but just the act of watching somebody make something and you do not know what's going on in their head, uh, how they got there. And that's, um, it's that, it's, there's a real intrigue in people's techniques. So there's that, and, the, and always paired with that mystery of where is this actually coming from? <laughs> uh, I remember, you know, lots of times like watching um, people work at the, uh, potter's wheel and that to me has always been magic and i know ross you you're on the inside of that you know how to do that my, right. my own attempts at making clay vessels were absolutely pathetic you know so so watching somebody you know make this incredibly graceful form from a lump of clay you know it does seem like magic and that's that's basically technical stuff. Yeah, there there is something of the the kind of the stage magician, I think, in all artists. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. there's this uh, appreciation of technique and you know, maybe a, a secretiveness about just how things exactly are done, but a maybe kind of an insider's club where, hey, if you're if you're one of us, then we'll share with you just how <laughs> this is done. Um but uh but yeah, definitely the, I, I think that there's also um, we, we, we need to kind of accept that, uh, that we're living in the age of information and information will eventually become available to everyone. Yeah. And, uh, being cagey with information is, is, uh, it's, it's something that's not going to lead to, uh, benefits to you in the long right. run. Right. I, I don't remember what podcast it was, but I remember talking about this idea of, um, keeping secrets and right yep and you know i don't feel uh even i mean i'm a person who shares a lot um of techniques in various ways through things i participate in and cold wax academy and all that stuff um i don't have a problem with sharing it but there's there is a factor that is is kind of impossible to share really i mean it's 
what I was just talking about. It's like kind of what's behind it. It's such a it's such a unique mixture for each artist. And so even if you know somebody's technique, even if you studied it and worked with them as a teacher and all kinds of things, there's still there's something that will be mysterious. Whether the person, the teacher intends it or not, you can't share everything. <laughs> you know, you don't know, even know how to do it. And and I've often tried to explain things like to students who will ask, well, what, you know, what are you thinking about when you paint? Or um, do you have a, an idea in mind when you start or something? And then I try to explain that process. And I always feel like it's inadequate. I always feel like I can't really explain it, even when I'm sincerely trying. <laughs> so this aspect of mystery um, combined with what we can know about what somebody does is so intriguing. Um, and I think that's what we feel with all the artists that we admire and look at is, uh, you know, that kind of pull to, to get underneath and figure it out, but you know you really can't. And that kind of brings me to the the third point that I was thinking about. What we learn is this kind of um, we get a glimpse of other people's creative process in the big picture. Um, you know what their ideas or their sources, um, and I think that is uh, really intriguing on its own level. It's not maybe not as visual as it is conceptual, but how do people get to the point where they? have a certain thing in mind, what something that they are mining and working with and focusing on for a long time, maybe, um, in their work and developing it to this uh, high level. Um, it's that part really fascinates me how it says so much about the person. And it, it's just, uh, it's so it's part of that creative realm. That's hard to describe, I think. Um, and it, it takes, you know, you you don't get it all at once. You have to look at different uh, pieces of their work over time. And what we also see about creative process when we look at other people's work is um, sometimes the work is stronger than other times. And th this is something we talked about last week with the, the wow factor. <laughs> you, you don't hit on it all the time. And so you look at somebody that you admire and you look at a bunch of their work, you're going to see some that are strong and really, you know, pull you in and others that are sort of not as great. They're still good, but you don't, you know, they don't resonate quite as much. And what that shows us when what that teaches us is that's part of the cycle. That's part of the creative process. And so seeing that in an, in another artist is, I think that's good. Um, so, uh, and, and I guess it kind of touches too on this idea that we shouldn't, <sighs> I'm not going to get into this deeply because we have talked about this other times as well. But sometimes looking at the work of other artists makes a person feel a little um, inadequate somehow or, right. well, they've got it all together and I don't. And there's always going to be people who who seem to be at a pinnacle <laughs> and you may, right. you're still struggling with something. And I guess it's it's a natural feeling, but hopefully not one to give into very strongly. <laughs> um, well, there, there's a couple of, of aspects to that. And one of them is that everyone is, is an individual. Everyone is different and they have different talents. And um, 
you know, what, what somebody else does very, very well, you may never do very, very well, but maybe you can do something that they don't do. Right. Um, the kind of work that you and I do are very different. Um, the kind of work that I do, I don't think you would ever do or ever want to do. Um, and, uh, I, I never really got into painting in the way that right. you have. Right. Um, but it's, it's something where we can appreciate each other's work and draw from it and, and learn from each other. Um, the other aspect of, of this is I, I think it's important when you speak with other artists or look at their work um, to be in the frame of mind of, of not that I want what you have, mm-hmm. but that I want to do what you do. Um, so it's it, less of a focus on what they have achieved in terms of a body of work or their talents or, but it's, it's more of a focus on, on how that process came about. Right. And And I don't think you're talking about, um, I want to paint like you, but, but I want, I want to be at the place where you are with your work or something. Right. Yeah. And, and so it's, if you, if you focus on the work that's involved and not on the, the end result, Mm -hmm. then, you'll have a better appreciation for how you get from where you are to where you want to be. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. Um and and I think that's really a good point because we can feel envious of somebody's accomplishments and yet we ourselves haven't really put in the years of time that that person has. And you you see the end result and you say, "Wow, I'll never get there." And yet you know, understanding what it took to get there, you, if you put that kind of effort into it, yeah, maybe you will, you know? Right. And this is the inverse of, um, a a point that, uh, another, another person has made, which is you want what I have, but you don't want to do what I do. So, uh, you don't want to go through the 10 years of struggle and pain. (laughs) You just want to have the following in the galleries (laughs) and the the sales. Yeah. And so it's, if you, but if, if you really understand what's involved in creating something that in, in the end is a, is a career or is a, a lifestyle, is a vocation, um, then it's, it's, then you're going to do those things and you're going to start from square one where everybody starts. You're not going to start from square 10. Yeah. And it's definitely something we can learn when we know about the artist's life and you say, um, yeah, they started at you know, an early age and they worked on it their whole life. Now, maybe a lot of people come into art, they don't have their whole lives ahead of them. They're starting in their retirement or something. But that's, it's it's okay. I mean, you, you just sort of have that perspective. You say, well, I'm not going to have 50 years to work on my art, but I'm going to give it everything I have in the next whatever I have. And, but it's acknowledging that it's not overnight. It's not quick and easy. Um, and you got to work at it. So it, it's all about perspective somehow. Like the more we know about what other artists are doing or anybody in any field, as you say, um, we, you know, we, we're a little humbled by that, I think, to say, okay, uh, I'll do what I can do and and appreciate and learn from this other person. So, um, right. I think that the uh, the kind of the benchmark for an expert in anything is what ten thousand hours. Um, <laughs> I don't know. If, if you're do- <laughs> I, I I think that that's kind of the rule of thumb. If you do something for ten thousand hours, you're an expert. Wow. And really, what that is is doing it full time for five years. Yeah. So 
if you do something for five years full time, you're an expert at it. And I, I have to say, you know, working with, um, you know, quite a few students in the past, say, 10 years I've been teaching that I have seen people make such amazing progress in a few years when they're really serious and they're really focused and they're really open to ideas and to instruction and all that. And so it is definitely, it's possible what you're saying if you have that focus. Right. And you're going to make the bulk of your progress in that first year if you're doing it full time. Um, you're going to, you're going to pick up the, you know, it's, it's that 80, 20 rule at play. You pick up 80% in 20% of the time. But, so, but the other 20% is really important to, to yes, rise it, it up. To, that's, that's the difference between being a, an amateur and being a professional or being a, uh, you know, somebody with a, a basic understanding and being an expert. Yeah. It is so much connected, you know, getting back to the topic here, it is so much connected. Right. We're kind of off in the weeds <laughs> We are. <now. laughs> and we often do that. That's all right. But, you know, so much of what we learn when we're learning, and we're always learning. I mean, I'm learning all the time. Everybody who really is serious about their work is learning, um, is from other artists. And and the, the last point I wanted to make was this sense of connection is what we get, I think, from looking at other artists, because it's not only um, connection that we're getting into the work and we appreciate what they're doing. So we're, we're getting, we're getting what they want to evoke or whatever it is, their, their feelings and associations and things are coming through. But there's a sort of this sense of conversation with other artists that has nothing to do with whether that artist is even alive. You know, I mean, you can feel that, interesting connection looking at ancient artifacts and saying a human being made this um, in a t in a time thousands of years ago you can feel it with somebody who lives on the other side of the world or you know it's just that something about the way artists communicate through their own work is to other artists is so special and and it's it's probably similar to other art forms in that way uh, but the but the visual transcends language. Um, it transcends so many things. You see it, you're involved in it um, immediately. And yeah, it's it's like a signal that transcends time and space. So and and, it, and in that sense, it gives us this access to this huge spectrum of ideas and inspiration. And it, getting back to the art history thing again, to I, you know, when I when I'm in another city visiting, being a tourist at museums or whatever it is, I am as likely to go to um, a museum of anthropology or archaeology or natural history as I am um, to go to an art museum <laughs> because uh, natural history maybe not so much as uh, more. That's more not produced by people. Although I do get plenty of ideas from rocks and things, but the but the type of museums that display work from other cultures, from other times, I love those places because they just transport you away and into another world of creativity. Yeah, you really get the sense that we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Absolutely. That we have this incredible foundation of human creativity and everything that that human beings have done over the past thousands of years that that we're 
standing on top of and adding to and building the peak a little bit higher. Yeah. So do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode? Yes, because I started out thinking I wanted to talk about how easy it is to feel isolated and alone as an artist. And and then I thought, well, we, you know, we've kind of covered a lot of things about this particular period of time when we're, we, we are sort of isolated. Um, but even in normal times, I think artists usually connect with a few artists in their immediate circle or on social media. But we can lose sight of this, um, this really much bigger picture. And so I think what, what I was hoping we would do and, and that we did was to remind people that we're part of this larger art world and that other people's art has so much to teach us. And we're, we are part of this sort of huge tribe of artists over time and distance. And if you open up to this, it really can be invigorating and refreshing for your own work. All right. Well, that just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please check out www.messystudiopodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. For more from Rebecca Kroll, please check out www.rebeccacroll.com and Cold Wax Academy at www.coldwaxacademy.com and sign up for the email lists to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. The Messy Studio Podcast is a core publication management production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.